You don't put those inside of you, do you? This is a show about women. I mean, you do? Finally, a show about women that isn't just a thinly veiled aspirational nightmare. It's not hosted, not narrated. We're just dropping into a woman's world. I found out when my dad was gay when I was 10. We were in a convertible on the 405 freeway, listening to the B-52s. Looking back, I should have said, this is gay. This is already all gay. <laughs> Listen to Finally a Show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Professional dancer Cheryl Burke has been part of Dancing with the Stars since the very beginning. 26 seasons of the Samba, the Rumba, and the Cha-Cha. 24 partners, 6 finals, and 2 Mirabal trophies. She knows all the secrets, the behind-the-scenes arguments, and the affairs, the flings, the flirting, and the fighting. Listen to Sex, Lies, and Spray Tans on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, for years, we have humbly celebrated Women's History Month at QLS with a full month of fantastic female guests. This year, we say with pride that we have four multi-talented, award-winning ladies who kick down barriers. I'm talking Brittany Howard, Corinne Bailey Ray, and the incredible choreographer Fatima Robinson, and as well as Lettucey. Listen to QLS on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Martha Stewart, and we're back with a new season of my podcast. This season will be even more revealing and more personal with more entrepreneurs, more live events, and more questions from you. I'm talking to my cosmetic dermatologist, Dr. Dan Belkin, about the secrets behind my skincare. Encore Jane about creating a billion-dollar startup. Walter Isaacson about the geniuses who change the world. Listen and subscribe to the Martha Stewart Podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, everyone. It's Sophia. Welcome to Work in Progress. Hello, friends. Today, we have a guest who I am just so thrilled to welcome to the podcast. He is funny. He is a brilliant comedian. He is an incredible actor, producer, and an incredible dad to two of the sweetest little kids around. And he also happens to be a fellow foodie. Guys, our guest today is none other than Jesse Tyler Ferguson. You likely know him from the pivotal role of Mitchell Pritchett on the ABC sitcom Modern Family. He just received a, you know, casual five Emmy Award nominations over the run of the show. I have been lucky enough to see him on stage when he takes Broadway by storm. You might have also seen him in Taylor Swift's music video for You Need to Calm Down or out and about raising funds for equality with his wonderful husband, Justin Makita. They got married back in 2013, and they have two children, Beckett and Sullivan, who you will hear about today. I love everything about his story, from how they met and fell in love and became dads, to all the way back when, when Jesse grew up in Albuquerque and how he decided to go to New York. His story is inspiring, exciting, and has led him to his latest venture, his wonderful podcast, Dinners on Me. We're going deep, we're opening up, and we're going to laugh. Enjoy.
I'm so excited to see you. How I'm are so you? Good to see you. I'm great. I talk about you a lot with Colton and Jordan. <gasps> you do? I've been seeing a lot of them. Oh, I love that. I want to come next time. Okay, we'll invite you next time. <laughs> yes, please. All <laughs> oh, my sweeties. They're very good. They're, They're so very, good. Very I'm good. just so happy for them. Me too. Me too. Aww. And how are you? How is your love? How are your little ones? Everybody good? Everyone's great. Um, uh, Sullivan, our youngest, is 15 months now, <gasps> and Beckett's three and a half. And um, you know, we're negotiating all of that, but mm. it's really fun. And um, Justin's good. Everyone's good. I'm so glad. I feel like negotiating with a three-year-old is a little bit like negotiating with a really adorable terrorist. Yeah. 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 And (laughs) you know that the terrorist is going to win. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. My godson's two and a half. And he, he, I mean, he is. He just seems like a litigator now. He's like a professional button pusher and very like, but mama, auntie, why? No. No. He's just like, I don't have time for the two of you. And we're like, oh my God, who are you? It's funny because Justin's a lawyer and he's really good. Like, it's hard to argue with him because he (laughs) like brings up like, if I can bring in, you know, exhibit A, when you said this, I'm like, oh my God, it's terrible arguing with you because you are really like, you don't forget anything. You're good (laughs) at it too. And now Beckett, I think has inherited that from Justin and Justin's like, oh wow, that's what I do. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Well, that is hilarious. Okay. This is actually kind of a perfect segue because I always really like to start with people and go way back because, Uh you know, I sit across from people like you, you're so well-known, you're so talented, you know, as an actor and you're out advocating, you do all these big projects, but in the ways that you are talking about how you see Justin and your kid in your kids and yourself, I'm sure. I'm wondering if you look back, like if we rewind to way before we all knew Mr. Jesse Tyler Ferguson, (laughs) like who were you as a child? Do you see traits, you know, in your adult self when you look back at a little version of you who was like nine or 10 years old? Yeah, I do. And also it's strange because I noticed myself talking to my kids and then I have these like moments where I flash back and I'm having core memories that I didn't even realize I had because I'm like having deja vu where like I'm the kid and I'm my parents and sometimes it's really cool and sometimes it's terrifying. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I I definitely, um, I definitely see a lot of myself in Sullivan. Um, Sullivan's genetically mine, and Beckett's genetically connected to Justin. We each mm. we, we each uh, uh, had a, an embryo that we implanted, so we each have one that is genetically connected to us. And it's really mm. astonishing at how closely they are connected to us. But then also, what's crazy is seeing how Justin's traits influence Sully, and Sully's and you know mine influence uh, Beckett. And it's it is definitely a case for um uh nurture over nature you know you see those those traits happening with your kids um i don't know i mean i i i as a kid i was very very shy and very um 
very emotional and I see that in Beckett and I, I still feel like that is instilled in me and I've just learned how to um, navigate it better. I mean, mm -hmm. as an actor, you can't be shy, <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, it's something you just, you can't <laughs> do. Uh, but like, if you really, if you really went into my body in one of those moments where I'm at like one of those Hollywood parties or like, you know, at, at an audition or something, like I, I am not as confident as I'm appearing to be on the outside for sure. Oh, same. I'm yeah. absolutely the same. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I don't know. I think maybe that's a trait you have to have a little bit of to be an artist, right? Is you're super sensitive. Right. And you have to pair that with being thick skinned as well mm -hmm. and not letting small things, you know, bowl you over, which is hard. It's a hard, it's, it's a hard line to toe and, you know, to be, um, someone who allows their emotions to come to the top because that's what we need to access and mm -hmm. then still protect it. It's like, you know, it's like being okay with like an open wound for the day and like without yeah. a bandaid on it. Like the, like, I just need, I need access to this, but at the same time, I want to keep myself safe. So mm -hmm. it's hard. It's a hard thing to, to figure out, but I, I definitely see, um, I see small glimmers of that in my kids where they're like figuring out, you know, how to uh, negotiate with us and their friends and also get the things that they need and express the things that they want to express. But then also, you know, they have no, they have no rule books for this and this is all new for them. And so everything mm -hmm. is on the surface. And um, I don't know, it's kind of me, Justin, and I'm more open to having temper tantrums. <laughs> the other day, <laughs> Justin and I got into like a big fight and he was completely acknowledging that he was having a temper tantrum he's like this is me nothing i'm saying is uh has any logic to it um mm. i can't defend any of these things that, that i'm saying but i am feeling them and i'm sorry you're the one who's having to deal with it but i'm basically having a temper tantrum i was like it's okay i know how to deal with temper tantrums now like you know yeah that's so interesting actually that seeing your kids be freer with their feelings in a way allows you to be because you're you're right it's it's sort of this emotional whiplash is the way i talk about yeah. being an actor you're supposed to be completely exposed but also completely composed at all times right and the consummate professional and like a a good soldier at work and all the things and then you know on a moment's notice open your whole chest cavity up for everybody to look in that's right and how kind of cool that as an adult you're getting a permission slip to have those less polished feelings from your children. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah, for sure. You know, but we also have to set an example. And I was like, mm -hmm. you know, there's so many times where like I would normally react one way and I don't react that way because I don't want to set a bad example. And, you know, I kind yeah. of held myself, hold myself accountable at times in ways that I wouldn't necessarily I'd allow myself to like, you know, react how I wanted to react. So mm. Yeah, it's, it's like, tricky. That's a lot of growth on both sides of the coin. That's yeah, so cool. Yeah, 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 for sure. It's it's interesting to hear you talk about you being shy as a kid. Uh -huh. I actually, when I was prepping for today, I was reading some older articles and I was like, oh my God, I actually didn't know. I didn't know the story of you getting into, you know, local theater as a child. And you are such um, an embodied performer, and, and you're so funny. I never would have guessed that you were a shy kid. So yeah. how, how did a shy little boy wind up wanting to sign up for theater? Like what? I know. It's what weird, happened? Right? Yeah. My mom was so confused by that. When I told her I wanted to join the Albuquerque Children's Theater, she, um, 
you know, I was a kid who was bullied a lot in school. I was very quiet. I, you know, kept to myself during lunch hour because, you know, that was sort of like when it was the wild, wild west, the playground. Mm, and like, mm -hmm. you know, the teachers kind of disappeared and it was like you every man for himself. Yeah. And so I, you know, I was just a very quiet kid. I kind of wanted to disappear and like not not make myself too flashy or too seen because that that probably would lead to some unwanted attention that would ultimately lead to bullying. That was just my experience. And mm -hmm. so I was sort of always in protection mode. And there was some, my mom took me to go see the show. Um, and I saw kids performing for other kids um, in this, this company called the Albuquerque Children's Theater. And I immediately wanted to be on the other side of the footlights. I didn't want to be sitting in the audience. Wow. And I asked my mom if I could get involved. And I think because I was so shy, she was just like anything that any glimmer of something. And I understand this now as a parent, you know, anytime my children show interest in anything, I'm like, do you want to explore more of that? You know, <laughs> <Right>. like <laughs> they tap their foot once. I'm like, are we going, are we doing tap class? Um, but so like my mom definitely noticed that I was interested in something and, 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 and jumped in and nurtured that and, and helped mm -hmm. me along. And it was one of those things where I found this group of people that understood me and that I felt at home with, and I felt comfortable with, and I was not, singled out as the weird one anymore it's like we were all kind mm -hmm. of like wacky kids mm -hmm. and you know playing theater games and it was all really innocent we weren't like diving into Chekhov or Shakespeare or anything it was just <laughs> like dumb theater games and you know we'd perform Alice in Wonderland uh you know at the end of the spring and like that was it it was all that it was but I definitely found community in a way that I hadn't before mm -hmm. and that community is what you know I guess made me feel safe to become more of who I am. And it was just also a, a very early seed of me realizing that I needed to, wherever I was, I needed to continue to find those types of people for myself. Mm. Um, because, you know, my, my, my schools that I was growing up and didn't have a great arts program. It was very sports centric and it's just, mm -hmm. it wasn't catered to someone like me. I was, you know, not interested in sports. I was an indoor kid and I, uh, yeah, I, I liked expressing myself through other ways. And, mm. um, it's why, you know, I, when I moved to New York, I felt like, okay, I'm, I'm in the right place and I'm around the right people. And, but yeah, I'm glad I found that kernel of community at a very early age. And I, I probably didn't even recognize that that's what it was at that age. Um, it just felt comfortable and I felt safe, which was yeah. really lovely. That's so special. And what a cool place for you to come out of your shell and, you know, find your confidence, literally find your voice on stage. Yeah. Did, did once you started, were your parents just all in on supporting that for you like what what did you becoming a young performer sort of do in your family dynamic yeah i mean they were it was just like an extracurricular thing like i my sister would go to tap class and my brother would have basketball and i would do theater it's wow. just you know they um they would have to come see this thing that i was performing you know once or twice a year and it was always you know let's be honest not great and so <laughs> i think for my entire family it was kind of like oh theater is this thing that's kind of boring and not you know super exciting and we sort of have to like endure it for a certain amount of time but i was like well but, you know is, is ben's basketball game any more exciting they're just kids like they barely know how to play basketball like i, I was like none of these events that we're going to my sister's tap class isn't anything super exciting it's not mm -hmm. river dance like you know <laughs> so um yeah but they were very very supportive and um mm -hmm. you know we were all encouraged to support our siblings in their different you know 
ventures. And, uh, but I definitely was, I felt like my sister understood the arts a little bit because she was very involved in dance, but definitely like my, my dad and my brother, and maybe sometimes my mom, just like, they didn't really fully understand like where the joy in theater was, um, mm. you know, well, I yeah, they weren't in rehearsals in the circus troupe with right, you. Right, exactly. You know, they were just, uh, they weren't there for the fun stuff. Mm. But um, I always felt very, very supported by them. You know, That's to, so to, cool. To follow that. That's yeah. really special. Was it a total culture shock for you to move from Albuquerque to New York? And did you go for theater or a job or to find a job? Like what motivated the move? Um, I always knew that I wanted to move to New York, even when I didn't know what New York was. I mm-hmm. My exposure to New York was like from the films, from uh, watching, you know, Broadway shows on the, the Tony Awards and, um, you know, like just like kids books, kids books in New York. You know, I had mm-hmm. this very like idyllic like idea of what New York was. And I went to New York for the first time on a high school tour with um, my my local theater company. And I was the youngest person on this tour by like 30 years. It was mostly like blue hairs and me. And um, I just fell in love with the city. I saw like, you know, eight shows in five days. And so I knew that was my first exposure to New York. And I just knew I had to find my way back there um, as soon as I could. And uh, after after high school, I went to the... Um, the American Musical and Dramatic Academy in New York City, which I'd been mm. accepted to. And um, my dad drove me there across the country and um, loaded up things in, you know, the back of his oh. suburban car. And, uh, you know, watching um, a man with a suburban from New Mexico drive through the streets of New York City <laughs> is terrifying. <laughs> you know, we were just a <laughs> massive car from the Midwest and just, you know, he was terrified to drive and all these one-way streets. It was, it was a mess. But he got me there safely. And um, yeah, I, I just felt I couldn't believe that I actually had a bed in the city that I had always wanted to live in. It was it, it, so, so cool. I think like it was a culture shock in ways and that I felt like the world was open to me, but I wasn't it wasn't a shock that scared me. It was a shock that was really super exciting. Mm-hmm. Well, and especially to to go into the city and go right into, you know, an Academy of the Arts, I bet yeah. just felt like the next sort of evolutionary step in that community where you found yourself in the first place. Yeah. And it was a safety net too. I mean, mm-hmm. for me, it was mostly about being in New York city and um, I didn't really care how I was going to find a way to be there, but the the Academy of Dramatic Arts definitely gave me a, a safe landing spot. And, you know, obviously it was wonderful being in acting classes and, um, and meeting other aspiring actors from, you know, different places. But for me, I think it, I really just needed to find a way to get to New York. And that was sort of my ticket to the city I wanted to live in. Yeah. We'll be back in just a minute. But here's a word from our sponsors. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. I don't understand what the big fat ones are. You don't put those inside of you. 
do you? I mean, you do? This is a show about women. Okay, so I just reapply my lip gloss after eating a delicious lunch. We are headed back now to European Political Systems class at Baruch College. Woo! Finally, a show about women that isn't just a thinly veiled aspirational nightmare. That's it. That's actually the name of the show. It's not hosted, not narrated. We're just dropping into a woman's world. It's like reality TV on the radio. I found out when my dad was gay when I was 10. We were in a convertible on the 405 freeway, listening to the B-52s. Looking back, I should have said, this is gay. This is already all gay. <laughs> Listen to Finally a Show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Shannon Doherty, host of the new podcast, Let's Be Clear with Shannon Doherty. You may know me from, let's see, 90210, Charmed, Mallrats, Heathers. You probably also know me from my stage four cancer diagnosis and sharing that journey with so many of you. There's something so authentic about a podcast. It's me connecting, me talking raw in the moment. That's what my goal is to give you to talk about why I feel that cancer to a certain extent is a gift, what my responsibilities are as a person with cancer, because I think that there's something so much bigger than me. And to be honest, I'm still trying to find out what that is. And maybe together we'll find it. It's going to be a wild ride. So I hope that you all tune in. Listen to Let's Be Clear with Shannon Doherty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, my name's Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan, and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're going to love listening to it, and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. I love the image of you and your dad in the Suburban I trying know, to navigate crazy? Manhattan. It's so <laughs> sweet. And this the way that you, you know, talk about him and your relationship, I also... I've laughed hearing you talk about how you had to come out to your dad three times. Yeah. Like yeah. It, it feels like an amazing, it feels like a movie. It feels like a scene in a, in a comedy that you would watch, yeah, yeah. which I imagine it probably was much more emotional and different, you know, IRL. Right. I like that it exists. Cause it's, it's a fun, like quirky thing to talk about when you're talking about your coming out experience. And yeah. I, mean, I still get to sort of make fun of my dad for it because, you know, obviously he he knows now, like he's, it's all clear. <laughs> <laughs> he was at my wedding. He's seen, you know, he loves he's his grandkids. Up. Yeah, he's caught right, up. Right, 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 right. But it is fun to sort of hold that over his head for sure. <laughs> 
Was that a conversation you were having when you were still at home or did you need the buffer of New York to feel like you could talk to him about who you are? I don't know if you've heard this, Sophia, but my, I sort of, I feel like I came out, I came out in my eyes officially when I was caught stealing gay pornography from Hastings books when I was 16 years old. Mm-hmm. For me, I feel like that was a pretty clear coming out. Right. You know, it was, it, I, I was stealing gay porn. Right. The writing's on the wall or <laughs> the in the magazine. Seems to be on the wall Literally. Or in the magazine. Yeah. <laughs> and so for me, I was always like, okay, well, at least I don't have to come out to my parents. Like it was awful because I was being punished for shoplifting. But yeah. I was like, well, you know, also I got to sort of kill two birds with one stone. I shoplifted for the first time and got caught doing something <laughs> I shouldn't have done. But also, like, they know I'm gay now. And then it didn't seem like that was enough. And so my my mom, when I went to school, she wrote me a letter. I, we still hadn't talked in person about this, but we had sort of talked around it, but not directly at it. Mm. And she wrote me a letter saying, you know, I, I, this was after she came to visit me for a, um, a week in New York and she met my roommate who I was sort of dating at the time. And I think, you know, anyone probably with two eyes could have seen what was happening. Right. And uh, so she's saying, I, I, I know that you're gay and you're probably, um, together with your, your your friend and your roommate. And I just wanted to let you know that I'm here if you want to talk about it. And Aww. so it was very sweet. And um, she told my dad, you know, that she had that conversation with me through, through a letter. And um, and so I was like, okay, good. Now my dad actually, you know, he really knows. And then yeah, later like 100% came, clear. Yeah, 100% clear. Then he came to visit me in New York and he asked if I had a girlfriend. And I was like, okay, dad, <laughs> what, are we not, what are we not getting here? <laughs> So uh, that's when I kind of verbally, officially came out to him. Uh, but that's so sweet. Yeah, yeah. It was a little bit rocky. I wonder if, I wonder if he was like, well, if he hasn't told me, maybe I need to ask better questions. Maybe I should poke yeah. around and see if he'll say it to me. He said it, it totally, to his mom. Yeah, it totally tracks with like who my dad is, and I love that he like kind of is. He's a bit vulnerable at times, and like can be a bit, a bit um, uh, um. What's the word I'm looking for? Um, naive. He's very, mm-hmm. in, a, in a really sweet way. Um, so yeah, I, I'm not super surprised now that I've kind of watched him operate as an adult that that's sort of like where he was at. Yeah. Um, it's also, you know, when we sort of were talking about this, me and my dad, I remember him at one point, we've had bumps even after that where he mm-hmm. sort of asked me questions that like, you know, why do you play so many gay roles or um, you know, why is it so important for you to, you know, always talk about, you know, you being out and a lot of times it was just him sort of being inquisitive, but it felt like he was sort of, um, berating me a little bit or not like Mm. fully, he wasn't fully on board with like my, my life and my choices. So it caused some friction between us. And I know that at one point he said, you know, this is, I, I was raised a very different way. And um, I, these are things that I just, I have a hard time sort of unprogramming for myself. And I can totally understand that because, you know, we've all been raised in certain ways and we all have yeah. trauma and, and baggage that we carry through from, from childhood and from the way we were raised. And sometimes it's great. And sometimes it's not great. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I told my dad, I was like, look, you were at this time of his life, he was probably in his early sixties. And I was like, you know, you, you have so many more, lo- so many more years ahead of you. It's just such a disservice to you as a person to say, I'm done growing. And like, I can't continue to, to see 
the other side of things and I'm I'm uh-huh. I'm, I'm I'm a fully formed completed human being sketched in stone like that doesn't make any sense to me like we are all capable of change and growth and mm. why just because you're over the age of 50 do you feel like you can't grow yeah and he I think he heard that and he started going to P flag meetings and uh, which is um an organization oh. that is in support of of parents who have gay kids. Uh, it's like you know, he loves a support group, my dad. So you know he he sort of dove all in and was wow. was a great um, was a really great advocate. So I'm really proud of him. And I think also that growth for me is beautiful. Like I I love that he had that, and I love that he experienced that with my encouragement. And mm. um, I you know when I look at Modern Family and I look at the relationship that they wrote. For me and um, Ed O'Neill, who played my dad on TV, like he also had a very tricky time, mm-hmm. you know, accepting his gay son on on, uh, on the show. And I love that that's the story they told because I think it's obviously very real. Yeah, and it's um, it's something I think that a lot of people can relate to, and I think that struggle is part of, you know, is also part of a beautiful thing. Yeah, well, and what I love about the way you're sharing this with me is that you're talking about loving someone through their imperfections, through their Mm -hmm. fears. You know, I, I know so many parents who fear anything that might make it harder for their kid to have an easy life. Right. And that doesn't mean the fear is right. It doesn't mean anyone should act out of it, but you being willing to speak to your dad in that way where you were clear and encouraging but also like willing to stand in front of him and and challenge him to grow more love more like right i think that's how we journey together and what a beautiful thing you got to do in your own life and and to your point you got to set an example of on screen it wouldn't have been as interesting to watch a story where everybody was just perfectly on board with everybody from the beginning, like then there's no comedy, there's no drama, there's right. there's nothing to watch. Right. But to to model loving people through their friction, meeting them where they are and helping them grow um, for the days where it's good and the days where it's bad, like I think that's the best of us and how yeah. how beautiful that you got to do it in your family and also like sort of sparkly. I hate to be like, feels like fate and sound like the most LA person (laughs) in the world, but it feels sort of faded that you got to represent that story on the show. Yeah, no, for sure. And, you know, I think a lot of that was sparked from me telling stories about my dad. And I told the writers Mm -hmm. that, that I did sort of have to come out to him three times and they thought that was (laughs) hilarious. And so, you know, I think a lot of, you know, in the pilot episode, they had sort of already laid groundwork down that, that Jay is sort of, you know, cautiously up you know he's he's cautious around his son and um you know he basically knocks every time he walks into a room because he thinks they're going to be like naked and making out but uh mm-hmm. it was fun to sort of offer them some sort of nuances to that that idea that trope of a, a father who's still growing yeah what do you feel like i mean you had so many incredible seasons you brought us all so much joy for so long what what do you feel like in hindsight when you look back at it, you you learned about yourself playing Mitchell? Like what mm-hmm. is being part of a show like that um, when you really have digested it and sat with it on the other end? Yeah, I mean, it's 
I, I continue to remind myself that when I was growing up, I didn't have that example of someone on television. Mm -hmm. I didn't have an aspirational pop culture figure to sort of look toward. Mm -hmm. And I can confidently say that that exists now and that I, I'm not the only one who makes that exist. There, there's, I, I think I, a lot of people hold the door open for me and I've certainly hope, hope that I'm holding the door open for others, but I think there's so much more representation on television mm. now than there was, you know, even just yesterday. I mean, I think we're all constantly getting better and there's still so much, much work to be done, but I, you know, when you're, when you're in it and you know, this from just being an, you know, a professional actress yourself, like <laughs> when you're in it, it's like, you have to, you have to sort of shut out the noise of like, of, of, of the things that are, you know, influencing your work. And especially if it's cultural things, like I, mm -hmm. I, I never wanted to feel like Eric and I were un under pressure to represent an entire community with these characters like i just i needed we needed just to make them real and we needed to needed to make them funny and we needed mm -hmm. to make them um relatable and we wanted people to fall in love with them that was sort of what our work was so we sort of had to shut it out and through shutting it out through shutting out like the cultural noise of of the importance of these characters or the importance of the show mm. you know i think we sometimes weren't allowed to let ourselves really breathe in the moment when it was happening and I yeah. kept telling myself, like, we have to really enjoy this. We have to really enjoy this because this isn't going to last forever. Um, but at the same time, we had a job to do. So it was it was sort of impossible to separate yourself too far from it. Mm -hmm. But now there's a whole new generation of kids, like, discovering Modern Family for the first time. Mm -hmm. And I meet these people and I'm like, oh, you were, you were not born when the pilot aired. Like, you are discovering this now on Netflix or wherever it's it's airing. Um, and And we have a whole new fan base, which is really exciting. So now when I'm meeting those people, I definitely um, allow myself to get swept up into mm. sort of how, how much of a privilege it was to be able to play those roles. Yeah, for sure. I love that. It's funny. I, I feel, I kind of feel the same way about one tree hill now. Yeah. Like, you know, we did it for nine years. It, some of our experiences were great and some were not so great. Yeah. And when we first finished, it was like, don't talk to me about it. And we all felt this. All of yeah. us were like, we're done. We're moving on. We're going to the yeah. next thing. We don't want to talk about it, dwell on it, whatever. And now, you know, I'll meet, I meet these young girls that are in college who've just discovered the show. And they're like, Brooke Davis taught me to never settle for a man who doesn't deserve me. And she taught me. And they like, they give me these life lessons from this character. And I'm, wow. and I'm obsessed. Yeah, like, it's pretty great. I am in love with it. And I am like in love with this person that I played in a way. Yeah. Now that I couldn't have been when we were doing it, nor sure. could I even have been, I think in the, immediate years after we were done and and now i'm just like oh i'm obsessed with her like you think you're her biggest fan no i'm her biggest fan <laughs> you know it's so funny does it feel to you because sometimes for me it feels like another lifetime like i don't know mm -hmm. who that person is because i mean when i was doing the show i i didn't have kids like there was just so much that was yeah. different then my life was so different I'm, I'm living in a house that i didn't live in when i was doing the show like it just mm -hmm. feels like this weird sort of alternate universe that i inhabited for a little while well, the way the only way I know how to describe it to people is that it's a very strange experience of temporary permanence. Mm. Season to season, you have no idea if you're going to get picked up. Mm -hmm. It takes your whole entire life, mm -hmm. but also you're supposed to maintain your real life outside of the thing. 
I think for us, it was even trickier because we were on location. So I would right. live in North Carolina for 10 months out of the year. And no matter what, I always sort of felt like I couldn't hold everything up. I was like spinning a, a few too many plates. Right. And it is really weird. It feels because it kind of feels like a time warp. You're like, that was my whole life, but it also wasn't my real life. And right. it's both. And it's the... It, I don't know. I'm like, is is being on a show like the shows we were on for as long as we were? Is that the Schrodinger's cat of being an actor? Like, I don't know. Is it alive yeah. or dead? It's both. It's nothing. Right, 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 right. I know. I know. It's it's a it's a wild wild job. I mean, Ty Burrell and I would sometimes just burst into laughter because <laughs> we couldn't believe that this was a, a job that a grown person would do. Yeah. Like you know, memorizing words that you didn't write and, and <laughs> yeah. putting pretending to be someone else like we would just sometimes get the giggles because like we would catch each other doing this doing the job like doing this ridiculous thing that we're supposed to do as part of the character <laughs> and then like catching the eye of one another be like that this is ridiculous that like what are we doing to do this <laughs> yeah <laughs> no it's so crazy yeah and now a word from our sponsors who make this show possible You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. I don't understand what the big fat ones are. You don't put those inside of you, do you? I mean, you do? This is a show about women. Okay, so I just reapply my lip gloss after eating a delicious lunch. We are headed back now to European political systems class at Baruch College. Woo! Finally, a show about women that isn't just a thinly veiled aspirational nightmare. That's it. That's actually the name of the show. It's not hosted, not narrated. We're just dropping into a woman's world. It's like reality TV on the radio. I found out when my dad was gay when I was 10. We were in a convertible on the 405 freeway, listening to the B-52s. And looking back, I should have said, this is gay. This is already all gay. <laughs> Listen to Finally a Show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Shannon Doherty, host of the new podcast, Let's Be Clear with Shannon Doherty. You may know me from, let's see, 90210, Charmed, Mallrats, Heathers. You probably also know me from my stage four cancer diagnosis and sharing that journey with so many of you. There's something so authentic about a podcast. It's me connecting, me talking raw in the moment. That's what my goal is to give you to talk about why I feel that cancer to a certain extent is a gift, what my responsibilities are as a person with cancer, because I think that there's something so much bigger than me. And to be honest, I'm still trying to find out what that is. And maybe together we'll find it. It's going to be a wild ride. So I hope that you all tune in. 
Listen to Let's Be Clear with Shannon Doherty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, my name's Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan, and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're going to love listening to it, and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's so all-encompassing being on something like that and a schedule right. like that. How did you manage to figure out how to carve out time for your other passions. Because to your point, you know, you didn't have kids yet when you were on the show, but you'd met your now husband, you know, you were building a life and then you'd go and do amazing theater. I mean, my God, I got to come and see your one man show yeah, that you. like knocked my socks off. It was so fun. How, how did you figure out how to make room for your life inside mm. of a project that basically took up your whole life? Yeah. I mean, I I started to feel a little bit of security with with Modern Family after mm -hmm. you know. I mean, we won an Emmy right out of the gate for best comedy, but you know, again, like so, cool. so did Arrested Development, and that also was canceled after a few seasons. So mm -hmm. it was after a few years I sort of felt like, okay, this thing is definitely going to stick around for a little while. So I was able to relax a bit mm -hmm. and really sort of let myself let myself go and and fall into other projects when I had a hiatus. But also, I mean, theater never for me, never took a backseat to, to doing film and television. I always, mm -hmm. that's where my first love is. And um, the, doing TV was this like weird thing that I just sort of fell into. And I love doing it and I love the job and I love the, the job security it gave me. But I sort of also was grateful that then it allowed me to go do, you know, Shakespeare in the Park for yeah. you know six weeks in the summer and not get paid a ton, but still be okay to like, you know, pay the bills Mm -hmm. at the end of the the summer because I was had saved enough. So I it sort of gave me freedom to to do other things. And you know, in 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 terms of that one man show that you saw, I was playing 40 different characters and working it with the dialect mental. coach. Yeah, it's crazy. Wait, will you tell the listeners at home yeah. a little bit about it? Because I, I, sure. I'm still not over it and it's been years. It's so funny. I, so I it's a show called Fully Committed. Um, it's a one-man show, and it's about a reservationist uh, who works at a very, very high-end restaurant, and his co-worker has not shown up for that day's work, and so he's just slammed when the line's open for the restaurant, taking reservations, and the whole play takes place over the over the phone. So mm -hmm. he plays not only himself, but he plays all the people trying on the other end of the line, trying to get reservations to this restaurant. He plays the chef. He plays the maitre d'. He plays the hostess. <laughs> he plays the, the the restaurant critic who's trying to get in. He plays his father, you know, who he's also on the phone with uh, yeah. throughout the day. Um, and, you know, it's it's uh, it's a really challenging piece. And every actor mm -hmm. who, who 
sort of tackles it, know it's going to be a challenging piece. So I knew going into it, this was the first Broadway revival of it. It had only been off Broadway before when I was offered this. And so I, I think I'd started working on it about a year before I actually started official rehearsals, just memorizing the play and working with a dialect coach on my own time, trying to figure out what these different characters sound like. Um, you know, she also worked at Juilliard, so she would sometimes have her students who are from different places record them saying the lines so that I could maybe sort of, you know, imitate them to sort of get mm-hmm. the authenticity down. But then again, it's a play where there are 40 characters and they're snapping between, you know, between themselves really quickly. And you're basically in dialogue with yourself. So there was also this this job of like not being too subtle and too real with anything because these people need to be immediately recognizable. So mm-hmm. it was uh, it was a really uh, tough line to to figure out when it comes to tone and and just the brevity of like or not brevity uh, levity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I always say brevity when I mean levity. <laughs> just the exact opposite. The, the the levity of like you know the just having to learn a huge you know ninety minute play that no one else is speaking in. It was. A it lot. was- I mean, it was breathtaking. I I have rarely been so entertained. And also at the end of the play, I was exhausted for you. Yeah. Like when you actually greeted everyone backstage, I was like, are you okay? Why are you hugging us? Go home. <laughs> like, does someone have an ice bath for you? Yeah. I, I mean, it was it was really astonishing. It's so cool to to hear that you had the sort of wherewithal to say, oh, I'm going to spend a year prepping even before yeah. rehearsal because this oh, is yeah, such a big no thing. Way. There was no way. But I did drive my Modern Family cast members crazy because I would test <laughs> out accents. I think actually Sophia was even, at a, like there's a there's an opportunity at the end of the play for a little cameo of someone who just picks up the phone as a celebrity. And I think in the original version of like Gwyneth Paltrow or something. But I did Sophia instead. Um, That's so it's, funny. It's my little cameo. So she even made it into the the play. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so cutie. How, I mean, you have such a work ethic and, and obviously such passion for what you do. And you're a producer and you you are, you're working in film and television. You're doing incredible theater. You're keeping that beautiful, you know, mm-hmm. industry going. How How do you and Justin navigate the intensity of your work lives and how much you both love what you do now that you have two little kids? Do mm-hmm. you Do you sort of have to trade off at certain times or do you just have a village that helps when you're both slammed a little bit of all of it? A little bit of both. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's tricky because, you know, as an actor, you, you get these opportunities and sometimes they take you away for a few weeks and we have to sort of really weigh about, you know, before I would just do everything that I wanted to do and not have to like really think about, do I need to be away for six weeks or two months? Um, And Justin's been very good about stepping in when he needs to, Mm -hmm. um, but you know when i i was doing the play last i was doing a play last year on broadway and our son was was born during that time so i came home for the birth i was here for a few days and then i had to go back to new york to finish the run and so i would go back occasionally you know for my days off but i was home for like maybe 23 hours and having to turn around go back to Mm. new york so it was a lot and i know that during that time it was really taxing on justin so you know I knew that when I came back, not only was I going to be like hitting the ground running with the kids, but like I needed to carve out time for him to get away and spend Mm -hmm. time with his friends and sort of turn off a bit because Mm -hmm. he had definitely picked up the slack. So he definitely earned that, you know, that, that time alone. But, uh, I, I try and like be very 
cognizant of the fact that when I do go away, um, you know, it's, it's a lot on him. Mm. But he's also been very good about rem- reminding himself that when I go away, I am working. It's not like I'm just, I, I love what I do so much. Yeah. I'm so lucky that like my job brings me so much joy, but it is, you know, it's a, it's a full-time thing when you're, when you're in work mode and yeah. you, you have to really take care of yourself and you have to go to bed early. And like, even if you have a long day on set where there's like big breaks in the day, like you're not just resting, you're trying to always like no. be prepared for when you're being called to set. And so it's exhausting. And so he, he's reminded that, you know, I also am not on vacation when I'm doing mm-hmm. this fun thing that I love doing. Um, right. I just, I'm lucky that I get to be enjoying my job. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's so cool. And the, and the things that it enables you to do, I mean, even you guys, you know, launching tie the knot, Mm -hmm. you know, creating uh, an organization that is near and dear to your heart is something that you get to go out and talk about because you have this great big platform. Right. Right. That was very important to us for sure. Yeah. yeah. Can you, can yeah. you tell our listeners a, bit, a little bit about it? Sure. Yeah. I mean, Justin's always been an activist. He's been very um, politically active. Mm-hmm. When I met him, he was graduating from law school and was working on the proposition eight case, which was yeah. a proposition that was, that was, um, it took away um, marriage rights for same sex couples here in California um back in like 2011 or something mm-hmm. um and we uh we formed tie the knot which was an organization that raised money for the people in the trenches fighting for marriage equality specifically we, we were kind of fighting for prop 8 to um get overturned yeah. and then um and then uh from there we were obviously looking toward uh, full federal um, marriage equality across the United States. Mm-hmm. But uh we are our founded we raised money basically by selling bow ties, which was, you know, a kind of funny, quirky, interesting, lighthearted way of nodding to a marriage. Um, and then, you know, we've sold out of other products as well. But um I've always been the type of um, activist who doesn't really use a bullhorn. Like I don't really need to be arrested on the steps of city hall. Like I like to, I like to, to definitely use my voice and make, make myself heard. But, uh, I find that doing it to more a lighthearted way and through comedy and through, you know, just being more authentically who I am is just a better thing for me. So Mm. this foundation really felt, it felt, um, it felt unique and it felt very, um, I don't know, it felt personal and it felt, uh, it felt like it was very, it came from our hearts. Like we really, yeah. you know, were able to raise money doing something that felt um, like it was authentically us. So we raised over a million dollars over the course huh. of the, of Tie the Knot. And then we recently rebranded Tie the Knot to Pronoun. So we're still, um, we're still raising money for the LGBTQ community, but it's a bit of a broader um, a scope that we're raising money for. It's no longer marriage equality, which we now have achieved, but you know, mm-hmm. LGBTQ rights and trans rights and yeah. all that good stuff. So, yeah, the larger umbrella of equality that, you know, so many people unfortunately are trying to chip away at. That's right. Year after year. I, I can't remember. Did I ever send you the picture I wore? You, you, one of your bow ties was like, um, yeah. sort of like a burgundy chocolate with little owls on it yes, and the yeah. little owls are, are like in blue and yellow and i wore it with a navy tuxedo that i had yes i remember that yeah yeah. Oh, okay good i was like wait yeah, do you yeah. have that photo i'm obsessed i do i do you've always been such a supporter of us oh too, well so. i just adore you guys Thank and you. and you know you've you've always just been so kind and wonderful and you know i'm a i'm a fan of what you both do but i'm a fan of you guys as humans 
thank you. That's nice yeah. to hear. You cutie. <laughs> okay. And as if you don't do enough things with all of your activism and theater and film and television and being a dad, you have a podcast. I Talk do. to us about dinners on me. I'm obsessed with it mostly because all I want to do is eat. Yeah. And I just, <laughs> I love it. I have so many questions. Tell the people what you're yes. up to. Yes, so I have this podcast um, that I started, I guess, about a year ago. I mean, my career has always been a series of things that I didn't expect to do that I've been given mm -hmm. opportunity to do, and then I end up enjoying. So I, when these jobs come to me that I'm like, I never imagined myself as that. I really take a beat and I think, okay, but is it something that I might have fun doing? And yeah. this was certainly one of those opportunities. I never wanted to have a podcast. Um, I had been on a million of them, you know, it just seemed like an extra job that I would have to, to do, but mm -hmm. I didn't know. I was, I was like, I'm not going to know if I, if I enjoy doing this unless I actually do it. So, um, I accepted the offer to, to host this podcast and, um, the producers knew I was a big foodie and they had this idea of sort of combining, um, my love of food and, and eating at a restaurant with, uh, with a conversation. And, you know, I feel like the best conversations happen over a really great meal. So, uh, the first season was a huge success and we started off with Julie Bowen. I took her to a, a restaurant called Republic here in California. Oh, it was so during good. a during a um atmospheric river, much like we're having today. <laughs> and uh it launched off a, a really great season of of episodes. And I went to restaurants in New York and in uh Los Angeles and had everyone mm -hmm. on from um, Padma Lakshmi and uh, Chelsea Clinton to um, Sarah Highland and uh, Isaac Mizrahi and uh, some great chefs were on last season and I just launched my second season and the second season starts with uh, a really great episode with Ed O'Neill who played my father a Modern Family for yeah. 11 years. We have another Modern Family cast member coming up and I can't say who it is but it's going to be exciting. Um, we have uh we have conversations with Danielle Brooks, who's fresh off of an Oscar nomination for The Color Purple. We have her so coming on. So happy for her. So happy for her. I couldn't, I love her so much and she's, she's worked so hard. Um, I'm so happy we got her on. Dax Shepard, who is the, the host of um, Armchair Expert, comes yeah. on. So it's really fun to have him on as a guest rather than a, a host. Uh, yeah. really, I kind of get to hear about the the trajectory of, of, of Armchair Expert. Um, mm -hmm. Uh, I was especially nervous for that episode because he's such a great, you know, host himself. I was like, oh gosh, this is going to be nerve wracking, but it was lovely. Uh, so we have re really great people coming up this That's year. That's so cool. Okay. Yeah. I, I have a technical question because I just think yes. about this from the production side. I know. I already know what you're going to ask. You're going to restaurants. Restaurant? <laughs> yeah. Like, are they opening an hour early for you? Because I feel like there's no yeah. way you could do this in public and not be like stopped by fans and have something clatter to the floor and ruin the sound. Like, what? Yeah. how are you achieving this? All those things actually happen. And I kind of <laughs> love it because I really want people, I want, I want the listeners to feel like a fly on the wall. So yeah. we keep all the ambient sounds. There are times when we go to restaurants and they haven't been open. They're not opened yet. And we, we get the entire place to ourselves. Yeah. And those are actually, um, I don't, I don't like those as much because I really like that ambient sound. It really yeah. sort of gives this feeling of like you, you over, overhearing a conversation, mm -hmm. but you hear the waiter come to the table and tell us the specials. You hear us order. Yeah. Um, to, to the chagrin of many people, you might hear us eating a little bit, which is also some people have a real big problem with that. Yeah. I promise it's not a ton of mouth sounds. We're pretty good about editing around it. But I love like, you know, when you hear the, the glass crash in the background, mm -hmm. I have a, a running gag on my my podcast where anytime I hear one of those, I go, oh, my earring. 
like I <laughs> just fell off. Um, so I actually look forward to sounds like that. I love um, that. To add a little comedy. But it's, you know, every restaurant's completely different. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes we're there. And I, I like I went with Isaac Mizrahi to Pastis on a Sunday brunch day. And Ooh. that was, um, you know, totally packed and crowded. And we were just at a little table by ourselves. And you can hear that we're in a crowded restaurant. And yeah. I kind of just, I love that we can do that and achieve that. And our, mm-hmm. I think our listeners really respond to that sort of fly on the wall, verite, you know, conversation. Yeah. I also feel like that's so indicative of your love of living in New York. Because when you talk about it, I'm like, yeah, like we're, we're New York people, the hustle bustle and the car horns honking and the sounds. It's like, it's part of what makes you feel like home. So I, I love that that's really happening and it's not a sound design thing. I took um, Nisi Nash out for uh, a for for dinner for the podcast, and we were at we yeah. had beat outside, and it was during trash day. So the literally <sighs> they were they were emptying like you know massive dumpsters of trash. You could hear the the trash trucks <laughs> coming. I was like, this is just what it is. I mean, we weren't we weren't sitting amongst trash, but there were definitely yeah. the sounds of trash trucks. And you're like, here we are during the podcast. Yeah. Oh my god, yeah. have you seen Nisi in Origin? Yes. And Ava DuVernay's movie. Oh, so good. I, I'm still not over it. It's been weeks. I yeah. I keep going back to it. She is just, I'm obsessed with Nisi. She's yeah. everything. She really is. Did, did the idea from the podcast, and I mean, because you know I'm also a foodie, so I just yes. really need to know. Did it really just come from you thinking like, how can I do a job where I get to eat at all my favorite restaurants? That was definitely part of it. Yeah. <laughs> like when you launched it, I had three different friends text me and go, the fact that you didn't do this is so weird. I and I was know. like, honestly, I'm flabbergasted. I have no idea yeah. how I missed the mark. Right, right. Well, I'm it's truly, what, what, yeah, what you were saying is, you know, it's, it's definitely complicated too to record live in a restaurant. But um, it's so funny because when you, you were speaking earlier about my one man show, Fully Committed, and my producers, um, uh, they said, well, we're going to do some research. We're going to go out to a few of these like Michelin star restaurants. So we can like kind of see the infrastructure. And like, we got to go back afterwards and like see the reservation room. But like we ate at these restaurants and it was yeah. the best research I've ever done. I think they took me to like four or five different Michelin star restaurants. And then the producers were like, okay, that's enough. We've, we've enough. done enough. Like, you know, cause it's expensive. Yeah. And I was like, this is great. I was like, we, just, we could fit in a few more of these before, you know, the show goes up. But um, I was like, I think I need to do a little bit more, bit more research. Uh, but it's I the just same need to do these, a little more homework. More, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's Is the same there, with this. It's so fun to go out. And now a word from our sponsors. I don't understand what the big fat ones are. You don't put those inside of you, do you? I mean, you do? Yes. This is a show about women. Okay, so I just reapply my lip gloss after eating a delicious lunch. We are headed back now to the European Political Systems class at Baruch College. Woo! Finally, a show about women that isn't just a thinly veiled aspirational nightmare. That's it. That's actually the name of the show. It's not hosted, not narrated. We're just dropping into a woman's world. It's like reality TV on the radio. I found out when my dad was gay when I was 10. We were in a convertible on the 405 freeway, listening to the B-52s. And looking back, I should have said, this is gay. This is already all gay. <laughs> Listen to Finally a Show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Hi, this is Shannon Doherty, host of the new podcast, Let's Be Clear with Shannon Doherty. You may know me from, let's see, 90210, Charmed, Mallrats, Heathers. Probably also know me from my stage four cancer diagnosis and sharing that journey with so many of you. There's something so authentic about a podcast. It's me connecting, me talking raw in the moment. That's what my goal is to give you, to talk about why I feel that cancer to a certain extent is a gift, what my responsibilities are as a person with cancer, because I think that there's something so much bigger than me. And to be honest, I'm still trying to find out what that is. And maybe together we'll find it. It's going to be a wild ride. So I hope that you all tune in. Listen to Let's Be Clear with Shannon Doherty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, my name's Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan, and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're going to love listening to it, and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including... Actress and star of the mega-hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Is there anywhere new you've discovered that you hadn't been that now you want to go all the time? Uh, oh, oh yeah. There's a place in um, in Brooklyn called uh, Kafar, which Ooh. is a uh, Mediterranean. Like they have barrecas, and it's it's really really delicious. Um, it's in uh, I guess that would be Greenpoint, Brooklyn. Um, I really 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 love it, and I actually last time I was in New York made a special trip out there to get some breakfast. So that's one of my new favorite places. Um, and then here in LA, I just recently took uh, Danielle to Superba, which I love. Uh, love I've never been to before. So, yes. And it's nice that we finally got one on our side of town. Yes, I know. Yeah. Oh, I just love it. What a fun project. Yeah, no, it's been really great. And um, But do you, I mean, I still have a tad bit of anxiety before every single 
one of my interviews because I, yeah. I I guess there's a bit of imposter syndrome just because it's not a world that I have ever you know anticipated being in. It was a job that was sort of brought to me, and people are trusting me to do a good job with this. Yeah, I definitely get like anxious before every single you know podcast. Oh, I totally <laughs> do too. Still, and I'm years in. I get anxious before every podcast, every speaking engagement, like mm-hmm. it, you know, cause I look around and I just go like, well, what, but what am I doing here? Right. Right. Like me, I'm going to be the one who asks the questions. Right. You know, and yeah. I get especially nervous. I think because I have such a reverence for comedy and my favorite, like the, my favorite things that I've done work wise have been the sort of more comedic things. I just, I so enjoy that energy on a set when it's funny rather than, right. you know, sobbing or everyone's dying. And I, I, I always get a little nervous when I'm going to interview a comedian that I love. Cause I'm like, are they going to think I'm funny? Am I going to be funny today or am I going to be weird? What if I'm weird? What if I get nervous and then I'm, I'm tight and I don't make any jokes. Like uh, I spin in that yeah, way too. I get it. I get it for sure. But you know, look at us rolling along. We're rolling along. <laughs> I I definitely feel like if I'm scared of something, it's a good thing that I'm doing it. Me I, too. I, I find the stuff that I'm not super intimidated by is stuff that doesn't actually ultimately being doesn't ultimately end up being very gratifying. Yeah. So you know, yeah. I guess the fear, that feeling of needing to poop and make diarrhea <laughs> and, and throw up is a, a good thing. <laughs> it's good. It's good that you're feeling that. Yeah, it's <laughs> phenomenal that you need to take a Pepto. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, with all of this, you know, this this big, beautiful sphere of the things that you've built in work and in home and with your family, when you look toward this year, what what feels like your work in progress right now? Um, I mean, I kind of feel like I myself am the work in progress for, for, mm-hmm. for me. I mean, I... You know, for 11 years, I had this like really steady thing happening and then mm-hmm. there was a pandemic and then I had kids and I feel like there was not a lot of like transitional time for me, but in, in the, that, that from one thing to the other. And so yeah. I feel like I've lost a little bit of like what I need right now. Um, mm-hmm. And Justin and I are both really good about going to therapy for ourselves. We do talk therapy. We don't mm-hmm. do it together, but you know, are very open to that. Um, and um, I'm, I'm just really trying to like, I, I, I cut back on drinking a lot. I did. Mm. I'm trying to eat healthier. I've lost a little bit of weight. Um, trying not to stress out so much about work. Like, I mean, all these, you know, we, we also have had a really bumpy few years between the pandemic and then writer yeah. strikes and then actor strikes. And, um, I just realized like, I, I have so little control over some of these things. I could certainly fight for, for better contracts, but like at the end of the day, like I have to let people do the jobs that, that are going to do the jobs. And I, I can't worry about it. So mm-hmm. I have really tried hard to sort of rewire my thinking and, um, you know, find ways to reduce my anxiety. And that's been my big, and I, I'm really proud of the work that I've done on myself. And yeah. I, that's been one of the main things for me is just trying to um, flow through life with a little less anxiety and nerve. I love that. I think that's so important and it's 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 a thing you're you're really just like making all the all the bells ding for me because it has been such a destabilizing time mm-hmm. you know for so many people and i think one of the things that i'm really working on remembering 
particularly over the course of the last year is I believe at my core and I try to remind myself every day that things are not happening to me. They're happening for me. Mm-hmm. And when I look at my life in that way, I see what I get from yeah. every experience. And, you know, to your point, like maybe there's a job that doesn't go because it felt a little easy and I want to be more challenged mm-hmm. or, you know, maybe there's a big aha moment in life that I really didn't see coming, but it, it changes everything for the better. And yeah, it, it feels like a little bit of a rewiring, but it's definitely helping with, you know, my anxiety and certainly with, um, the pressure I put on myself. Right. Right. And it's hard to like say, you know, don't, I mean, uh, I've been told so many times to just like relax and not stress yeah. out and like, you know, the, which only makes you stress out more. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. but there are times when I tell myself that too, I'm like, just relax. It's okay. You got to breathe. Mm. Um, and I just am learning to listen to myself a little bit more. That yeah. feels like a good work in progress, my friend. Yeah. Pilates too. Ooh, <laughs> a little fitness moment for 2024. Sure, sure. Yeah. We love it. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you so much. I just love talking to you. It's like in the way that you were talking about you and Ty being like, I can't believe this is our job. I feel that every week. I'm like, I literally can't believe I turned asking people I adore questions into a job. I love this. Yeah, I know. I know. We're very lucky. Yeah. I'm so glad you asked me to do this. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming. Yes. Oh. You don't put those inside of you, do you? This is a show about women. I mean, you do? Finally, a show about women that isn't just a thinly-veiled aspirational nightmare. It's not hosted, not narrated. We're just dropping into a woman's world. I found out when my dad was gay when I was 10. We were in a convertible on the 405 freeway, listening to the B-52s. Looking back, I should have said, this is gay. This is already all gay. (laughs) Listen to Finally a Show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Professional dancer Cheryl Burke has been part of Dancing with the Stars since the very beginning. 26 seasons of the Samba, the Rumba, and the Cha-Cha. 24 partners, 6 finals, and 2 Mirabal trophies. She knows all the secrets, the -the behind-the-scenes arguments, and the affairs, the flings, the flirting, and the fighting. Listen to Sex, Lies, and Spray Tans on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, for years, we have humbly celebrated Women's History Month at QLS with a full month of fantastic female guests. This year, we say with pride that we have four multi-talented, award-winning ladies who kick down barriers. I'm talking Brittany Howard, Corinne Bailey Ray, and the incredible choreographer Fatima Robinson, and as well as Lettucey. Listen to QLS on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Martha Stewart, and we're back with a new season of my podcast. This season will be even more revealing and more personal with more entrepreneurs, more live events 
and more questions from you. I'm talking to my cosmetic dermatologist, Dr. Dan Belkin, about the secrets behind my skincare. Encore Jane about creating a billion-dollar startup. Walter Isaacson about the geniuses who change the world. Listen and subscribe to the Martha Stewart Podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.